Romans chapter 8. Last week, we looked at one of the uh, most startling passages in Scripture for those of us who are uh, Christians, those of us who are believers, and that is found in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, we read this. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many, uh, many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so if you remember uh, last week, our passage reminds us that there are people um, who think that they're on their way to heaven uh, but they're not. Uh, they're actually on their way uh, to hell. And it's often the case because of their object of their faith. They've placed their faith in something that is incorrect. And so we talked about last week that some of that bad theology, matter of fact, we talked about bad theology can cause false assurance. And some of that bad theology is due to, uh, let's say, uh, universalism. We talked about that last week. We also talked about legalism, uh, trying to work for our salvation. We even talked about uh, being religious and uh, how that uh, can uh, take us down the wrong road as well. And so really the object of our faith must be Jesus Christ. And so if we want to be, remember the goal, we looked at those uh, four different people groups last, uh, last week, uh, people who are believers and they know it, people who are believers and they don't know it, people who are unbelievers and they know it, and people who are unbelievers, they just don't know it. And so uh, we looked at those four people groups, and uh, one of those people groups that is should be our goal is people who are believers and know it, people who have the same testimony as Paul. And so remember what Paul's testimony is. This is from 2 Timothy 1.12. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day. And so Paul had uh, the type of faith that said, you know what? I, I am someone who is a believer, and I know it. But I do understand that within churches, there are people who at times doubt their, um, their security in the gospel or their, their uh, faith. And so uh, that is why we're going through this safe and secure. And uh, we're talking about why we can know that we have eternal life. It goes right along with our theme for this year, uh, Be My Witnesses, His Plan, uh, Our Purpose. And so having that confidence, that confidence in the Lord. And so if we could say that uh, bad theology uh, creates false assurance, then we could also say that good theology creates true assurance. And so that's actually what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, we're going to be looking at um, uh, really how we can stand and think about the Lord and, and what the Lord has done for us and how we're secure in the Lord rather than uh, secure in, in our own uh, grip of the gospel. When I mean grip, I mean like holding on to it or holding on to God. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. Um, this is the idea 
It is not because of our grip on God or our grip on salvation, but it is because of God's grip on us that we are safe and secure. So we're going to start here in Romans chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 28. I'll have you stand out of respect for the word. Um, if you're able to stand this morning, this is Romans chapter 8. We're just going to read just a handful of verses as we get started. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 28, and it says this, And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Then what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? All right, let's go ahead and stop there. We'll ask the Lord's blessing upon our time. Lord, we do thank you for the teaching of Paul. We thank you for our... Um, position in Christ, the fact that we are justified, the fact that the work of the cross completed salvation, that really as you uh, paid uh, not just for a part of our sin, but in that idea of finished, that you completed all of our salvation, you paid for our past and our present and our future sin. You gave us your righteousness that before you, us as believers, stand as justified, as innocent, not because we are innocent, but because Christ lived under the law in our place, because Christ died in our place. He took upon himself our punishment, that he came back to life to show us that he was exactly who he said he was, that we know that you accepted that perfect sacrifice on our behalf and that we can live confidently as Christians, not just believers, but believers who know that we're believers and that one day we will see you. One day we will see you face to that day. But until then, Lord, help us to be confident in our stance before you, not because of, again, because of our innocence, Thank you that we stand with Christ in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be convinced of our position, that is, people who are believers and know it. We must have good theology, and to have good theology, we must know who God is. Today, we want to explore our position in Christ as secured by God's attributes. In our passage today, Paul reminds us that salvation is not secured in our own strength. So it's not the fact that uh, we walk a certain walk or we do a certain thing which keeps us saved. Instead, really, our salvation is held on by God. God is the one that holds us. We're not the one that holds God. And so today we're going to look at a lot of good stuff in Romans chapter 8, but I do need to say, this is just a side note, there is a lot of good stuff in Romans chapter 8 that we're not going to cover today, all right? And so you may be sitting there, and you may have studied at Romans chapter 8, and you might be going, Pastor, you are missing so much good stuff in Romans chapter 8. And I just want to say, I know I am. I'm not covering all of Romans chapter 8. 
if we did that, we would have to we would have to be here for quite a while uh, studying Romans chapter eight, or at least several uh, Sundays to cover Romans chapter eight. And so we are not covering everything that is found in Romans chapter eight. So just know I'm going to miss things this morning, and it's on purpose, okay? Because uh, we just can't cover everything uh, that we find in Romans chapter eight. So that's my side note. Please don't come up to me after the service and say, Pastor, you missed something in Romans chapter 8. I know I did, all right, uh, because Romans chapter 8 is just filled with so much uh, good stuff. Um, but today we're, we're just going to focus on, on the Lord. We're going to focus on his attribute and how we're connected uh, to the gospel through that. Because really, if we're going to be Christians who are confident in our position in Christ, we have to realize that it's not based upon us, but really it's based upon who God is. And if we can trust who God is, then we can have that, that type of faith that says, you know what, I am confident that one day when I pass on eternity, I'm going to be with the Lord because I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so eternal security is not based upon my grip on God or my grip on salvation. Instead, really, it's God's grip on me that keeps me saved. And that's what we want to look at today. This is the very first thing that we want to remember is that God is sovereign, that God is sovereign. Now, now we looked at the idea of God's sovereignty, um, I guess maybe two or three weeks ago now. And so we defined uh, that idea of uh, sovereignty. And so we said this, it refers to his absolute and unrivaled rule over creation and its circumstances. So again, let me read that for you one more time. When referring to God's sovereignty, that refers to his absolute and unrivaled rule over creation and its circumstances. And so God really is ruling over this world, all right? It may not seem that way because for a period of time, uh, uh, Satan has some rule. The, the Bible calls him the prince of the air, has some rule. But that will be very limited in the time, and it's limited in what he can do, all right? So he does not have complete authority. He is not the real rival of God. God has no rivals, all right? Even Satan must have, or given permission, even him is given boundaries about what he can and cannot do. And so God is still sovereign over this world. He is still in control. And so as we think about God's sovereignty, there's one thing that comes to mind that is found in verse 28. And so the very first thing is this. There are no accidents connected to believers, all right? Or there's no accidents connected to the believer. And so if you're here today and you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there are no accidents in your life. And so we think about many of the things that happen in life. We may see them as accidents because we did not know they were going to happen. But for the believer, there are no accidents. And so look at the beginning of verse 28. Romans 8, 28, it says this, For we know for those who love God, all things work together for good. Now, Paul is not saying that everything that happens to the believer is good. All right? There's a lot of things that happens to believers that is not good. When we think about the early church, there were Christians who were being imprisoned. There were Christians who were being uh, killed for their faith. 
even today, in the world today, there are Christians who are being imprisoned and, and, and killed for their faith, all right? Not everything that happens to a believer is good, but God can take a bad circumstance and make it good. Now, there's a second thing that we should know. God doesn't need bad things to create blessings, all right? God creates blessings uh, because he's God, all right? But the idea here that Paul is putting forward is there is no accidents connected to the believer, that God is really working out things in our life. And so in this fallen world, as we think about maybe some of the trials that we have in this life, it may, be, it may not be imprisonment or death, but living in a fallen world brings its trials. It brings its problems. And so we, as we live in this world, we will have different trials, but we should know this, that really God is involved in our life, that he is carrying us through those trials, that as we go through trials in this life, we are not alone, for God goes with us. And so that's the very first thing as we think about God is sovereign, that there are no accidents connected to believers. God has a purpose for everything that happens in our lives. And that brings us to the next idea. God calls us into a relationship with him. And so notice as we continue here in verse uh, 28, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, that's the word that Paul uses there, that, that called, called that Greek word uh, does mean called. It comes from a root word that actually means summoned. It's the idea of like a king would, would sub, summon someone, and, and uh, it wasn't like a choice. When you were summoned by the king, you came, all right? And that's actually the word that Paul is using here, that idea of call, that idea of summon. Now, that word call can be used in two different ways, and it is used in two different ways in Scripture, all right? The very first way is in a general call, a call which is given to all people. We actually see this call in Matthew 22. Now, if you remember, we looked at Matthew 22, and we looked at the parable of the king and, and the wedding feast. All right, so remember, he, he sent some servants out. Um, those servants were treated badly. Some were killed. And uh, so the king actually had vengeance on that group, went and wiped out those people. And then he told his servants again, go out. And so this is what the king told his servants. Again, this is the parable of the uh, wedding supper, and it says this in Matthew 22, 9. Go therefore to the main road and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And so when we looked at that, we talked about the idea of go find invite. Go find invite. And that is the general call, a call that should go out to all mankind. We're all sinners and we all need a savior and that savior is Jesus Christ. And so we go, we find, we invite. That is the general call which is made available to all mankind. We are to share that good news, the good news of the gospel. But there is a second way that that word call or that word summon is used in the Bible. And that is in a more personal way. That is, that's not in a general call that is, is, is called out to all the world, but instead a very personal way. And I believe that is the way that Paul uses it here. 
because when we look at this verse, Paul has a very particular group that he's talking about. It's not all in a very general way, but actually call in a very specific way. And so God has called us as believers, those who love him. God has summoned us as a sovereign God and king to his kingdom for a purpose. And that's the last thing that we see in this verse, that God has a purpose for believers. Again, we're going to see the verse in its entirety here, and it says this, and we know that all things, uh, that we know that those who love God, all right, and so uh, Paul gives us the group, those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called, that idea of called is those who love God according to his purpose, all right? So God called us according to his purpose that we would love God. So that call is a very particular call. It's not a call in a general fashion. Instead, it is a call made to you and, and made to me. And so God has called us, God has summoned us for his purpose. And so as believers, you didn't accidentally respond to the gospel, all right? You weren't at the right place at the right time. Instead, God personally summoned you into a relationship with him and that he had a purpose in doing that, for he has a purpose for you. And so in life, one might be tempted. All right. We might be tempted to think to ourselves, hey, you know what, I, this, this, it seems like everything is, is just by random and by accident. And, and um, you know, if, if, if you looked at my life, I don't know why God would ever call me in a relationship with him. But, you know, it's really because God desired to have mercy upon his creation and God decided to have mercy upon you. And so God has a purpose and he wanted to show mercy to you. He wanted you to trust in him. This is the very first thing that we must remember when we're thinking about uh, the gospel and our internal security is that we serve a God who is sovereign and sovereign over the life of the believer. All right? Nothing in your life happens by accident. God chose you. All right? So God is sovereign over your salvation. The second thing that we should know about the Lord is that God is merciful, that God is merciful. Something that God revealed about himself in the Old Testament, that he is merciful. Matter of fact, um, it is he that cried out, I am a God, I am a merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so that was something that God revealed about himself. It wasn't something that Moses said, I think this is who God is. God is a merciful God. Instead, God said, this is who I am. I am a merciful God, one God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And when you look at Israel's history and you look at the Old Testament, you see God react in mercy to them over and over and over again. Now, you also see God react in justice. And so they do, they, they do what they were commanded not to do. And if you remember, God was in a covenant relationship with, with Israel. God said, I will do this if you do this. And Israel said, we'll do this if you do this. And they were in a covenant relationship. And oftentimes Israel went and did their own thing, but God never left that covenant. He kept that covenant. Why? Because he was merciful. 
And so we see God as a God of mercy in the Old Testament. We see God as a merciful God in the New Testament. And we see that in what Paul says here. And so notice what Paul says in verse 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Then look at verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, Paul here gives us an abbreviated version of God's salvation work behind the scenes. All right. What we see is that the gospel is presented and, and that we are, we are convicted that, yes, we are sinners and we need a Savior. And we bow our head and we say, Lord, please forgive me. Be my Savior. That's what we see. But there's something that's happening in the background that God is doing in our life. That God has already done in our life. And that God will do in our life. This is the very first thing that I want to point out. And, and this can really be a place that really encourages our heart. If, if you've ever struggled with, with uh, the uh, gospel assurance, this can be something that really encourages your heart. Because first of all, in verse 29, Paul says, God foreknew us. That is, God knew you before you knew him. I mean, we're thinking about Mother's Day is next week. Before you had... Before your mother gave birth to you, God knew you. And you know what is so remarkable about this? Is this really stands in opposition to what we read in Matthew chapter 7. So if you remember in Matthew chapter 7, there's going to be a group of people who say, Lord, we did all these amazing things, and the Lord's reply will be this. This is found in Matthew 7, 23. For uh, it says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so uh, what is said here is, I never knew you. I never knew you. And yet in our passage given by Paul, those who are in Christ, God foreknew. Before we ever knew him, he knew us. Before we ever stand before him, he already knew us. Isn't that amazing? He foreknew us before we ever took our first breath, before our heart ever beats. God knew us. And so for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Christian, before we chose God, he chose us. We are saved, not because we saved ourselves, but because he saved us. But it gets even better. It gets even better than that. Not only did he foreknow us, not only did he save us, but look at, look at verse 30 again. For those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. And so we looked at that first part. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. Our salvation past was chosen by God. And then we think about this idea here that whom he uh, called, he also uh, justified right there. That is our current position in Christ. When God sees us, he doesn't see us as guilty. He sees us as innocent. He sees us as justified. That's our current standing in Christ. 
before God, we are justified. That's our current position. And then we also see our future plans are already handled by him. Notice, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, one day we will be glorified. We will uh, shed this this uh, old sinful nature and and uh, we will live with the Lord forever and ever. We will be glorified. That's a future thing. And so when you think about what Paul says here, and this is for the believer, God knew you and he predestined you in the past. God chose you before you ever chose him. In your current circumstances, you are justified. As God sees you, you are innocent. And we'll talk about that, why that is a little bit later as we talk about God is just. And then in our future, that God already has a future plan for us as well, and that is that we would be glorified and that we would live with him forever and ever and ever. And again, this stands in opposite to what we read in Matthew chapter 7. For there are some that truly did not have a good object of faith. They had bad theology. They were placing their faith in something else besides Christ. And, and they stood before God and they said, didn't we do all of these great things? And God says, I never knew you. In our passage today, we read that God foreknew you as a believer and that he chose you. And one of the remarkable things about this is that I know myself. And, and I know my flesh, and I know my failures. And, and you know what? I don't know. I don't know my failures for next week or next month or next year. But God does, and yet God chose me despite my failures. And he chose you despite your failures. That he had mercy on me and that he had mercy on you because I compared to God, I'm a sinner, and God is holy, and I know because of God's holiness, he cannot tolerate sin, and yet uh, he justified me in Christ, and so he had a purpose for my life. He is in control of the whole salvation thing. He chose to have mercy on me, a sinner, and he chose to have mercy on you as a sinner. Salvation is God's rescue plan not mankind's. Therefore, it's not up to us to keep that rescue plan. Instead, it is God who keeps that rescue plan intact. So first of all, God is sovereign over our salvation. All right, he's sovereign over the life of the believer. Number two, God is merciful and gracious. God knowing right where you would be chose you. He knew you and he predestined you. He chose you even while you were still a sinner. Another thing that we should remember about God is God is just. The third thing that we need to remember is God is just, and he is the one that ultimately justifies, okay? And so while we may be afraid, well, what if I stand before God and, and I'm, I, haven't done a, a, I haven't done enough things and, and uh, I'm not justified before God, you know what? Justification has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God and what he has done for us. And so God is a just God. Normally when we think about God being a just God, we think about this. God being a just God cannot overlook sin. All right? 
He cannot do that because he is a just God. Justice always deals with facts, all right? And so if you imagine a, a courtroom set up and you have a judge who has all of the facts, all right, all of the facts, he knows exactly what that person's done, and he pronounces a verdict based upon what he knows to be true based upon the facts. And that means that God is a just God. See, whenever he pronounces an, uh, a verdict, it's always the right verdict. He always knows whether or not someone is guilty and, and the, uh, should have condemnation or someone is innocent and should be set free. He always knows that because he is a just God. Now, when we put ourselves in that position, we think, well, that's not good for us because we know that we're not perfect. But one thing that is true is that God has justified us. And so notice here in Romans 33, moving on to that next verse there, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. All right? So it's not up to me to think to myself, well, you know, uh, I need to do these things so that in God's eyes, he will accept me into heaven. Instead, really, that is already my position. That in God's justice, and really he's the only one that gets to judge because he has all of the information. All right, he has all the information. And, and he is really the king, the creator king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. He is the one that gets to pronounce the verdict. And he says, for as far as his elect is concerned, it says, for it is God who justifies. And so those of us who are believers, it is God who has justified us. And then we look at how. And so notice in that very next verse, who is it who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And so who is it that condemns? And so we may at times condemn ourselves. We may at times think in our hearts, you know what? Maybe I'm not a Christian because I just can't seem to have victory over this sin. But Paul says, who is it that condemns? Whether it's inside or outside, it is Christ Jesus who died for you. More than that, who was raised. And that shows that he was exactly who he said he was and that that sacrifice was accepted by God. And he was at the right hand of God, indeed interceding for us. That interceding is, is so uh, important. And so what, one of the things that we learn about God's justice is this very first thing. We are declared innocent in Christ. Remember, so the fact that God is just, he, he goes by the facts, all right? He doesn't go by his feelings. Uh, he doesn't say, well, you know, I think this is right. Instead, he says, I know this is right because I have all the evidence and I always judge correctly. All right? I always go by the evidence. And yet when he looks at us, we are declared innocent in Christ, and we are set free because Christ died in our place, and he took upon himself our punishment. 
that this is the, this is the exchange. This is what happens. So Jesus Christ, he left heaven, all right? And, and he lived a perfect life. And so he left heaven. He, he lives here on earth. He lives a perfect life. And, and here am I, and here are you, and, and we sin, and we make mistakes, and, and we break God's law. But this is what the Bible says, that when I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there is an exchange that happens, that my sin is placed upon Christ on the cross, and that Christ's righteous life, the life that he lived in my place, is placed upon me. And so no longer does God see me as a sinner, he no longer sees me as guilty, but instead he sees me as innocent because he sees me through Christ. Because my sin has already been taken care of. Christ died in my place. We're about to actually uh, partake of the Lord's Supper and remember that great sacrifice that he made for us so that we might live. But notice what Hebrews says. This is Hebrews 7, uh, 25. Con um, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. And so this idea that he saves to the uttermost, and why? Because he's always making intercession for us. Now, you're right. We do make mistakes. You're right. Uh, we, we made mistakes today. We're going to make mistakes tomorrow. We're going to sin against God. We're going to react in the wrong way. Uh, we're going to break God's law. We're going to break uh, mankind's law, uh, which has been placed over us. When we go home today, we might be tempted, or we will, a speed on the way home, and God has placed that authority over us, and we're going to say, I don't like that authority. I'm going to speed anyways, and we're going we're gonna to do something in our life. No, we're not going to speed. Okay. Some of us might. <laughs> no, we're going to break God's law. We're going to show that we are sinners by nature, and yet we are declared innocent in Christ, not because we are innocent on our own or because we're innocent in our own merits, but because Jesus Christ stands with us and he stands for us. That intercession there means that Jesus Christ represents us from the throne of God, and we do not have to represent ourselves. And so Jesus Christ stands with us. And so one day when we stand before God, one day when we stand before God, I won't be standing by myself and talking about my sin. Instead, Christ is going to be standing with me and he's going to say, I took upon myself John's sin and my righteousness has been applied to John's account. Therefore, John is innocent. And the same thing is true of you if you are a believer here today. There has been an exchange when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Your sin is placed upon Christ as he died on the cross. And, and his righteousness is placed upon you. Now God sees you as innocent. God being just means that he looks at all the facts. And when he looks at the fact of your life, he sees you as innocent not because of your merits, but because Jesus Christ died, lived, died, and came back to life for you, and you have put your faith and trust in that. And so we won't stand by ourselves. We will stand with Christ. Again, that's why Paul asked this question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies. Again, salvation is God's plan. It's not my plan. I didn't orchestrate a way to, you know, maybe we could get to God this way. Instead, it was really God who orchestrated that. And why did he do that? Why did, why did he make all of this possible? Because there's a fourth thing that we should know about God, that God is love. So again, as we kind of go through what we've covered so far, the very first thing, God is sovereign over our salvation. Number two, God is merciful and gracious that he chose us despite being sinners. Number, number three, God is the one who justifies. He is a just God, and he has justified us. And why did he do that? Because God is love. We see that in John three sixteen, For God so loved the world. Why did he do this? What initiated uh, this, this desire to send his only son? His love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God made an opportunity, a way for us to have a relationship with him. And why did he do that? He did that because he's a God of love, because he loved his creation. We see that again in, in Romans. This is Romans 5.8. But God, again, notice, notice why he did this. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the idea that while we were still sinners, God chose us. He picked us. He foreknew us. In our sin, he saved us. And so why? Well, he did that to show his love for us. He did that out of his love. This is how Paul concludes. Um, I should say this is how Romans 8 is concluded uh, by Paul. And so notice here in verse 37, uh, again, a, a great truth as it relates to the gospel. And so uh, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who what? loved us, again, initiated by God's love. We could be more than conquerors because of God's love. Again, as Paul continues here, for I am sure, all right? So I am confident, I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor, or depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, and to be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so Paul says this, I am confident, I am sure of this, and as Christians, we can be sure of this as well, that yes, next week, tomorrow, later on today, we're going to make a mistake. But you know what? God continues to love us, and why? Because he made a choice. And just like he got into a covenant relationship with Israel, remember, he got into a covenant relationship with Israel. He said, I'll do this for you guys if you do this. And Israel oftentimes did not keep their side of the covenant. But God kept his side of the covenant. Why? Because God is a God of mercy and a God of love. And, and sometimes in our life, we're going to look at our life, we're going to say, yeah, but I do this. And, and pastor, if only you knew the things that I struggle with. And you're right, I don't know the things you struggle with. But God knows the things that you struggle with. 
And yet he still called you. He still summoned you into a relationship with him. And why did he do that? Because he wanted to help you. He wanted to encourage you. He wanted you to have victory. Sometimes even in our own lives we say, yeah, but what about? John says this. This is in 1 John 3, 19 and 20. By this we know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. And so there's times in our life where maybe we're going to look at our life, we're going to say, yeah, but, but what about this? And, and next week we're going to look at evidences of, of a true conversion. Because there are evidences that the Bible points out that if we say that we're a believer, that there are certain things that, that happen to our life if we are really a believer. We're going to look at that next week. But this week, I just want to lay a foundation for who God is and why we can have assurance of our salvation. Because God is sovereign, because God is merciful, because God is a just God, and because God is a loving God. And so there might be times in our life where we will try to condemn ourselves. But what about this? Why can't I have victory over this? We need to know that we are not the ones that hold on to salvation. We are not the ones that hold on to God. Instead, really, it's God who holds on to us. And so Paul, as he started off Romans chapter 8, he said this, and this is the truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And again, why? Because this is what is true about God. God is a just God. He is the one that is able to declare guilty and innocent. And in Christ, we are found innocent. And so we can stand confidently. And so as we think about our goal, believers who know that they are saved, the Bible says you can be a believer and know that you will have eternal life. And that's not because we hold on to it. But that's because God holds on to us. That we are safe and secure because this is God's plan, not our plan. And so may we be Christians who stand secure in our position, justified before God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we do thank you for what is true about you. Thank you for being a sovereign God, that nothing in our life happens by accident, that we didn't join into a relationship with you by accident. But really, you knew us before we ever knew you. Before we ever knew that we needed to be rescued, you were already rescuing us, that you already sent your son to die in our place. And so, Lord, we thank you for the blessings that we have because of who you are. You are a God who is sovereign and in control of all things. You are a God of mercy, a God who is gracious, and that though we don't deserve salvation, you have shown mercy upon us. That you are a God who is a just God, which means that you always deal fairly. You are a just God, and that we can be declared innocent, not on our own merit, but because we stand in Christ, because Christ is interceding for us because one day when we stand before you, we will stand with Christ. And lastly, Lord, we thank you for your love. 
if, if it wasn't for the fact that you are a God of love, we would have no hope because we understand you are a God who is holy and you cannot tolerate sin. And you are a God of, of you are a just God and you cannot overlook sin. But thank you, Lord, you are also a God of love that you provided a way for us to have confidence in our position that we can know that we're believers and that we can know that one day we will be with you forever and ever and ever because salvation is not our plan. Salvation is not held on by us, but instead salvation is your plan. Now salvation is, we really are held by you. And so thank you, Lord, for saving us. Help us to rest in who you are. Help us to rest in the salvation that you have provided for us. In Jesus' name, amen.